You're listening to Token Talks, brought to you by Wing Venture Capital. I'm your host, Zach DeWitt. The value add, the expertise that someone like you, Zach, bring to the table is very different as a value proposition. You need both. You need that advisor, the value add, venture money, in addition to the community's support. So it's not one or the other. It's just expanding the pool of capital and how to access it to entrepreneurs. Today, we are joined by Kendrick Wynn, the CEO and founder of Republic. Republic's mission is to democratize investing and level out the fundraising landscape for founders and investors alike. Recent legislation has created the opportunity to bring the best of Silicon Valley to the rest of the country and world. You will hear Kendrick talk about how Republic gives a 97% of people previously left behind access to startup investing. Republic was founded by alumni of AngelList, a popular angel investing platform. Republic's protocol will use a Republic token, which is not yet launched, but will likely trade towards the end of this year. Check out republic.co to invest as little as $10 in startups, both traditional companies and crypto companies. Okay, so please introduce yourself. Zach, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Kendrick Wen of Republic and Coinless Angelist family. And, and what is Republic? And, and what is the problem that you're solving? We think entrepreneurship uh, will be the power that changes or eradicate poverty around the world. And until now, very few people participate as investors. And out of that, even fewer participate as entrepreneurs, may it be crypto or equity. Uh, so we aim to get everyone to know that they can and should invest, may it be equity, may it be crypto in projects they believe in. And what is the JOBS Act and why is this relevant for Republic? Oh, it takes us back to 2013. Back then, the Obama administration, with our help in lobbying, passed something known as the Jobs Act, and that aimed to spur innovation in businesses in the U.S. So one component of that changed 80 years of American securities law, basically from the 1930s to, you know, 2013 or 2016, you got to be a millionaire to invest in private companies by and large. The law changed a little bit called investment equity crowdfunding that allows everyday people, students, teachers, doctors to invest small amount in early stage startup and take part in what has been one of the biggest wealth generation event. Probably second to crypto, though. Companies are staying private a lot longer, so a lot of the growth and wealth creation is happening in the early stages of these private companies. You know, for example, Uber, Dropbox have been private. Airbnb have been private for nine, ten years. So that's that's where a lot of the action's happening. It used to be three or four years back in the early two thousands, and now it's eight, nine, ten years. Exactly, exactly. So maybe talk a little bit about how Republic solves some of these problems. You know, being powered by the Jobs Act now, what does Republic help me do, and and how do I interact with it? So we spun out of Angelus as a sister company. We 
use the same technical product know-how to build what we hope is a simple, intuitive platform that anyone can go on. And similar to Amazon, even though we have far fewer selections now, that you see a project, a company that you that speaks to you, and with a credit card or ACH or even crypto, you can invest as little as $10, $20, and it takes about a minute or two to go through the entire process. So quite simple in terms of, of the experience for an investor. And how is Republic different from other crowdfunding platforms? You talked about AngelList, CoinList is a popular one in crypto, and certainly Kickstarter. I think a lot of our user base will be familiar with Kickstarter. Let me quickly walk back the the history, uh, the evolution of crowdfunding. Back in 2008 or 2007, you have what is known as donation-based crowdfunding, Indiegogo, and then Kickstarter. Basically, you're just buying a product, but pre-buying a product that may or may not come. Right, no equity. With correct, correct. And then Angel is, as the syndicate model that some people know about in this ecosystem allows for a lot of, or maybe a couple dozen millionaires investing ten, twenty thousand dollars a piece, coming through into a fund that then invests into a startup, but still only for millionaires. That's called Title Two. Only since May 16, 2016, and which is on the two-year anniversary mark, that everyday people, retail investment, crowdfunding uh, came into existence. And so that's the evolution, I think, is that last component that really would open the door and turn entrepreneurship into a shared economy. So with Kickstarter, I can invest in the product of the company. I'm not actually buying equity in the company. But with the public, I'm investing in the equity of the company and buying a share of the company. Correct. If you say a, a pair of sunglasses, you pre-buy a product or buy the actual product, and you may love it, and the company sells you know, three years later for 100x, you get nothing except for that pair of glasses. Whereas if you invest the same amount, but instead of getting a pair of glasses right now, it's an investment, then when the company gets, say, acquired for 100x, all of a sudden you get approximately 100x of that money back. So it's that three over long-term return. So we're talking on a crypto podcast today. So um, why are you here today? What, what about Republic is crypto focused? Ultimately, uh, tokenization or ICO or investing in crypto is a form of crowdfunding. A lot of people coming in to invest and fund a project. Uh, so obviously, Republic aiming to be the Amazon for investing of any type. And we believing, recognizing that crypto will fundamentally change startup financing. We launched a product in, called Republic Crypto about six months ago. And now we have crypto projects fundraised from everyday people and include them in this exciting world of tokenization. Right. So you'll have both crypto projects and traditional projects, non-crypto projects listed out or public. By the way, is it just American citizens or is it, can you be from anywhere in the world? Oh, no, no. We have uh, investors from dozens of countries around the world. Great. So you'll have both crypto companies and non-crypto companies on the platform. And I actually, you know, as, as you try to track the ICO market, you certainly realize how fragmented it is to try to find, you know, the different platforms to invest in these ICOs. So it's all over the place. What's the selection for being listed on Republic? What types of companies are you looking for? How are you screening them? Uh, for sure. The uh, selection for crypto or venture, similar in its selectiveness, you know, we select far less than 10% of the applications that come in. 
the credibility of the team, they, what they aim to build, the potential market, product market fit, what traction validation they've gotten, uh, mean a great deal. And that's similar to any investment uh, diligence process. But we also want to select companies and projects that have a mission behind it, a story behind it, that within a few minutes, you know, my, my sister, who's a physician down in Palo Alto, can immediately understand and have an interest to dive deeper rather than something that's, uh, you know, right now too technical or too out there for people. Now, what materials will the investors have access to? Will there be a video with the founder talking? Will there be a white paper? Do they have access to the founder? What's the interaction with the investor and the company? Uh, We tend to make sure that whatever company, the company or the project uh, makes available for their institutional investors, and that include white paper, a summary, a deck, that that's all linked and presented on Republic. But of course, we aim to make the process consumable, easy, not intimidating. So there's always, almost always a video. We distilled the project with a summary down to a few sentences. And if people want to read more, they would be able to. And each project also has a SEC filings with a lot of information that they have to verify as to the accuracies. Now, if you're a company doing an ICO, what is the benefit to listen on Republic? It sounds like you have to present more filings and maybe a bit more regulated because you guys you know, have such good background coming out of AngelList and know all the proper paperwork and regulations that you have to go through. But what's in it for the company, Rusty Non Republic? Most, if not all, crypto projects depend on developers and users to work on a product protocol and grow uh, the network the vast majority of them are non-accredited investors. The legal landscape is moving in a way that these offerings are all securities offerings. So either they can just fundraise illegally on their own and risk the high probability of it being in violation of securities law or go through Republic as one of very few platforms that they can do so in a compliant manner. No, absolutely. I mean, we've, we've talked about this before, how important a community is and companies certainly want to release on Republic because they're trying to build an actively engaged community of people that are investing early, um, you know, being part of their user base and developer base. Um, so, you know, really building a community is a big reason to risk on Republic. So in terms of the um, security, are all of the ICOs listed on Republic deemed securities? And does that, what implications does that have for the investor base? We're not a law firm, and I'm certainly not with the SEC. I do work closely with the government. So rather than saying definitively that the tokens that we see on Republic are securities, I think the law firms and the legal landscape are treating all new projects and their tokens to be securities. We simply just sensing and knowing and understanding the ecosystem And because of that high risk of legal advice from the project's law firms, they ultimately go to Republic to conduct what is the securities offerings. So yes, they are doing securities offering on Republic, but to everyday people under equity crowdfunding rules. Yeah, that's great to hear that you guys have been so buttoned up on the regulatory side because, you know, a lot of these projects are are worried about what the SEC is going to rule, specifically about some of their ICOs they've been doing. So Republic has been really buttoned up from day one. So that's great to hear. and what's the interaction with a platform like CoinList? You know, CoinList has has listed some projects like Filecoin and Basis and Orchid. You know, do you see projects listing on both Republic and CoinList, or do, is it one or the other? Or what's the relationship with CoinList? 
Just for uh, the audience uh, background, for the listeners here, CoinList uh, is also a sister company of AngelList and of Republic. I'm uh, one of the founding advisors for CoinList, and we set up CoinList to launch what was known as the first major compliant offering. Similar to AngelList, they can only accept millionaires, accredited millionaires around the world. And a lot of people, either they're not that wealthy or that they don't want to go through that complex process, in which case Republic would open an avenue. Uh, But to answer your question, Zach, we already had a project that launched on CoinList raised about $25 million, but they could only raise from, again, millionaires. And their community of millions of non-accredited investors who've been with them from day one didn't have a way to get in. So they launched a parallel offering on Republic and it got sold out in three hours and thousands of the uh, otherwise uh, people who wouldn't be able to participate now were able to do that. And it was the first instance in the U.S as far as I know. That's incredible. Uh, and it's great to hear the symbiotic relationship with CoinList and other platforms that just serve accredited investors. Now, with the Jobs Act, are there uh, limitations on terms of the number of people that can invest in these companies? Or is it, um, you know, could you have 10,000 individuals invest in one project on Republic? You can have 10,000. You can have a million people each investing a dollar. Currently, though, there's a cap on how much a company can raise from retail investor. So the cap right now is just around a million dollars that a project can raise from retail everyday people. They can raise a lot more from VC and from uh, accredited investors. We hope that that cap will be lifted to $5 million. And there had been already lobbying effort in Congress to lift that cap. So that's really powerful. And I could see how it would be very competitive if you have a really compelling project, if there's only a million dollars that are up for grabs and you have a lot of interest. Is it first come, first serve? Or how do you figure out who gets to invest in what amount? Definitely first come, first serve, but the rules do allow some flexibility. A project can open it up to their community first, and then if there's some leftover allocation, release it to the public. It really depends. Uh, Very early on, uh, projects without a lot of validation uh, may have some difficulty filling out a million dollars. And then you have the props in you now that have this huge community ready to jump in. Each project has its own need, and Republic's role is to be that intermediary and that advisor to help them execute. So Republic is certainly a project for the people. It's vetting really high-quality projects, giving everyday people an opportunity to invest in these projects, whether it be $1, $10. And the mission is absolutely incredible, democratizing startup investing. How does Republic make money? We do take a cash commission and a small upside potential. Let's say a project on a normal startup that raises $100,000 on Republic after they successfully close the campaign. And it's actually quite cheap and, and quick to do a campaign on Republic. But we'll take $6,000 in cash and a $2,000 in the upside potential of the company. So if the company does really well later on, we're basically in the same position as investors. And of course, by being in that role, we would stay along and track and act as a representative of SORC for the investor investor in the company. Yeah, that's that's great to hear that the incentives are fully aligned between the investors, the advisors, the entrepreneurs and republic. So that's that's wonderful. And yeah, how, how does that work the ongoing reporting? Do I if I invest in a republic company, do I check back every 6 months and does the company post updates? 
part of being a platform is to not only serve the investor community, but to also make it easy for project founders to to do a campaign. And so we productize that experience from the onboarding steps to post closing. Once you know beyond, once they've gotten the money in the bank, uh, we touch base. You know, tell them about the ongoing obligation, and they're relatively minimal. The the cost of annual fouling is probably a couple of thousand. Dollars at most. Now, does Republic have a token? We. Uh, this is the first time that we publicly uh, let everyone know that we do have our tokenization uh, initiative in the work. Uh, sometime down the road, we most definitely will have a Republic token aimed at incentivizing every single participant within the Republic ecosystem, from investor to founders and users alike. Yeah, so tell me more about the Republic token. Is the idea that if I own the Republic token, I'm basically owning a small claim in all of the companies that have listed on Republic? Definitely, we'll be publishing the white paper with a lot of details toward uh, the end of the year in a few months. But the general notion is that um, each note holder will have a skin in the game, will share in the success of more or less all deals on Republic without actually investing in those projects. The mechanics, the details, uh, that will be in the white paper. And what's the best way for our listeners to follow Republic and, and follow the white paper? Will you post the white paper on your, on your site, republic.com? We will uh, certainly will post it on republic.com and we I would just be grateful for uh, anyone who wants to know more about crypto and, and startup to just sign up as a user and we don't really spam people. We send a newsletter once a week with relevant information and that's about it. Uh, and we'll obviously update on our tokenization plan as well. Great. It's something I'm going to be closely following, so hopefully all of our listeners will be as well. So what do you think the mix will be between crypto companies and non-crypto companies listed on Republic? ICOs and crypto projects really exploded onto the scene in the past year, particularly in the U.S., in a way that had been truly unprecedented. I've been in Wall Street and startup for a good dozen years now, and uh, venture capital never quite gained the exposure that crypto projects uh, had managed to attract from investors, institutional and funds and everyday people around the world. So it's very difficult to speculate on the future. But let's just say this, today we've launched two crypto projects and more than 50 5-0 equity projects. And I do expect by the end of the year that crypto and equity will be probably 50-50 or 60-40. And I do think that in a few years, even the food truck down this, you know, in downtown San Francisco, maybe raising on a tokenized basis, they don't need to know what that means, but it would be on a tokenized basis. I agree. This is really interesting. What what are your thoughts on the future of venture capital? And you know what the tokenized economy is doing is it's basically empowering a larger base of people to invest and participate in these early stage financings. Do you think venture goes away? Do you think it looks very different? You're at the forefront of this democratizing investing. I've got a question about whether crowdfunding and crypto somehow would replace or displace venture capital a lot in the past six months, in part because Republic was fundraising. And decidedly not so, in my opinion. 
for the very same reason that we're an equity crowdfunding platform and yet we're fundraising from VC. The value add, the expertise that someone like you, Zach, bring to the table is very different as a value proposition. You need both. You need that advisor, the value add, venture money in addition to the community's support. So it's not one or the other. It's just expanding the pool of capital and how to access it to entrepreneurs is certainly not a uh, mutually exclusive thing. So this is a good opportunity to talk a little bit more about your fundraising, past and future for, for Republic. We were very fortunate as a sister company and a spin-out from AngelList to have been seeded by AngelList itself. And AngelList is an institutional co-founder. Without AngelList and the team and Navar's guidance, there wouldn't be Republic and I probably wouldn't be in entrepreneurship to begin with. Uh, we did close down on a, a seed round uh, toward the end of last year. Uh, and we're a, uh, a sister company but a truly independent business and operation uh, from, from AngelList and CoinList. And, you know, in the future, there's no doubt that Republic will be fundraising again, uh, whether it's on a, a token sale or just straight up VC. Uh, you know, that's, that's to be seen. And how will a protocol like Republic interact with Ethereum? Will you ever store the shares you're purchasing in a smart contract in Ethereum or will this be a totally separate platform? Probably is a question or a topic about differences or the available options out there. So many projects, obviously Ethereum, you know, has gotten the lion's share of projects in terms of uh, being the network, the protocol that people build on. But it's not for everyone in that if your project is not heavy on smart contract, Ethereum may not be the right option because it raises security risk. That is hack, you know, not, not securities from the legal sense, but from the hackability sense. And it's expensive and, uh, you know, and not as easy to scale as, say, Ripple or Stellar. Uh, we're a huge fan of the Stellar exchange and in part also because of the mission that Stellar brings in building and in evangelizing for the network. Okay, so um, what are the near-term priorities for Republic? We aim to build a marketplace, uh, but not just an investment platform. If our goal is to get, you know, first 20% and then hopefully one day 90% of the U.S. population to think of investing in crypto or in equity as a way of being like an engaged citizen and as an, another spending behavior that they should add to buying product, making a donation, investing in mutual fund. If that's the way, then the name of the game is education and awareness. A lot of our effort, aside from product and sourcing deals, goes toward how do we partner with the right influencers to spread this message around and how do we provide information that's easily appealing, adaptable, consumable, and quickly. You know, attention, uh, people's attention spend nine seconds nowadays online. So it's going to be a, a work in progress for years to come. Do you think Republic will ever build an app and try to make things that much simpler? On your phone now, if you go to republic.co, you know, it's very intuitive and, and simple. Uh, down the road, perhaps, but uh, that's not a priority in the near term. 
Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the crypto market. You're someone that is very well respected within crypto. Um, you know, a lot of people know the Republic Project and are very excited about it. So you're certainly seeing seeing everything as an insider. What are some important themes you're observing in crypto today? Let me touch on two aspects. And now we're diving a little bit deeper into um, some aspect of crypto. Uh, and uh, But bear with me. Uh, twofold. Legal and economics and everything in this space has been changing so quickly. So just about six months or eight months ago, people raised a lot of money on a simple SAFT, simple agreement for future tokens, all or nothing. You give, investor give the project money and if they don't do anything with it, oh well, too bad, so sad. And I think there's a trend. Um, away from that. That is, there's accountability. There's perhaps equity interest in the company baked into that early pre-sale. Uh, so more and more, you're going to see investors asking more um, from, from projects as they should. And I also do think that about a year out, the average amount raised by a new project is going to be a lot lower than what we have seen in the past six months. And I also think that's a really healthy thing. On token economics, the same way that people tend to adopt whatever is the most recent successful project and use it as though it's the standard forever. And not realizing sometimes, in my opinion, that there's major flaw to every single approach. From proof of work to proof of stake, you know, one has decentralization issue. And, you know, proof of authority, which is going back to the old way of doing it, obviously people can hack and game these equals, you know, the, the various approaches. At the end of the day, taking a step back, looking at the community that you're hoping to build and evaluating how do you combine multiple or choose one that in the long run incentivizes all participants of your ecosystem, and they're typically four. The investors who own a lot of it, the core developers, are the people who work on the nodes and the user of the platform. And it's a very difficult thing because we're still so early to plan out far enough a mechanism that for decades to come equally incentivizes everyone. And what are some of the projects that you're personally excited about in the crypto ecosystem right now? Filecoin was the first project that raised on CoinList. And before that, a lot of token sale or token presale gave away the awards of the token very early on, a lot of it. And I think Filecoin did, among other things, they also popularized the SAFT. But they reserved up to 70%, or I think even more, of the block awards for future issuance. And I think that's a really smart thoughtful way of doing it. Uh, so not a surprise. I'm a huge fan of what uh, Protocol Labs and Filecoin are doing. Similarly, Blockstack took a slightly different approach uh, in their token sale. And I'm also very, uh, very long uh, on, on that team, have huge respect for Ryan and Munib as well. What mix of crypto assets do you own personally? Ooh, 
You know, I am not shy in disclosing uh, my own take, my personal take on uh, crypto asset and my own personal investment. I haven't done an exact percentage, but I would say out of my so-called liquid asset, almost 50% uh, would be in some form of crypto assets. And which crypto assets? I'm very long on Bitcoin. So long that if tomorrow Bitcoin's price drops to $100 a coin, I wouldn't lose an hour of sleep at night. Yeah, absolutely. And the crypto market is $400 billion state market cap. So small, right? So small. So small. What, uh, what total valuation do you think will end the year? Oh, you know, it, that, that one is particularly difficult. Uh, one year is too hard. I would say 10 years out, the reason why I wouldn't bat an eyelid if tomorrow price drops to $100 is that over, you know, in 10 years, I think it will be a manifold of what it is today. But it's anyone's guess. The market right now in one year is not, it's not long enough of a time frame. And a number of factors can affect near-term uh, pricing. Regulatory uh, landscape is a major one. If the United States tomorrow, if the SEC, uh, you know, comes down with some sort of a soft ban, you're gonna bet that everything will drop. And if they do that in November, then everything will will change drastically. But it's a technology that no regulation in the long term can prohibit and the proliferation of it, uh, regulations can only adapt. And it may take more than a year or 18 months to adapt, but I think it will adapt uh, sensibly in the long run because it's here to last. And how big is the Republic opportunity? So certainly a function of how much money is raised in your platform. If it moves from 1 million to 5 million, that is a really positive trend. It sounds like you have hundreds and thousands of applications of people listening um, to be on your platform. And you guys have been very selective at a less than 10% acceptance rate. You know, how big is the Republic opportunity in front of you? Uh, the market is enormous, but it has, uh, it's hard to fix a number because it doesn't exist yet. Uh, venture capital is a, you know, 10 to $30 billion in terms of the capital being deployed. If you talk about Every day, that is all the adults in the U.S. investing five hundred to a thousand dollars a year in projects or in startups. That's a massive market, and if you include international uh, populations into that mix, and everyone has an interest in the U.S. ecosystem, whether it's a $100 billion market or a trillion dollar market, uh, but the number is is vast. And is Republic the first platform of your kind to let non-accredited investors invest in early stage startups and crypto projects? Not at all. We, uh, In fact, we weren't even the first to launch. And today, in terms of platforms that can take on non-accredited investors, there are at least two dozens or more, but doing many different things. Some just do debt, some do real estate, and a number of them do startups. At the end of the day, just like you know, a law firm or the difference between, uh, you know, Macy's or Amazon or Yahoo, uh, there's a personality, there's a 
mission and a core genetics to every business and not everything is for everyone uh, we probably would not be a suitable platform for projects that are doing you know in the adult entertainment uh, not to say that I have any personal judgment against that industry it just doesn't fit with what we're trying to build and if it's in I'm sure that there are the platforms that uh, startups in that space can raise so as a former lawyer, as an entrepreneur, as an investor, and now having been working in Republic for two years, we'd love to hear some reflections about how the last two years have gone and where you've come so far. I've always been pretty high energy in that I get out of bed at like 6 a.m., uh, really excited and happy and ready to go. And I can go to bed at 2 a.m., you know, in the same mood. And I have always been that way. And uh, But yet the past two years have been so challenging that there definitely at times that I thought my bandwidth or my uh, my capacity was stretched to, to the limit, but has been so worthwhile. And looking back, and I was just comparing, why is it that I wasn't feeling the same way working in uh, in hedge fund on Wall Street during the financial crisis, and I and I feel that way now. Uh, and I think it's just being involved, either as an entrepreneur or as an investor, in a project that's new in creating and building something and getting people from team members to people I haven't met, you know, a retired dentist in Milwaukee uh, to dapple in entrepreneurship by deploying $50. It is so inspiring and humbling and it's like an endless source of energy. So that's one. Uh, The second one is a clear realization on my end that nothing in life, no amount of money is worth doing if you don't actually believe in the mission behind it. So I don't think I would ever go back to the word of uh, fun of funds or, or even Goldman Sachs. I don't think so for any amount of money. I think it would be entrepreneurship through and through. And what's your team like? Well, who have you surround yourself with? I've, I've met Ken, who's also wonderful. I We have been so lucky to gather together, which is now truly a family. I spend more time, I actually dream about them in my, <laughs> uh, more than anyone else in, in my dream, may, may or may not be unhealthy, but it's a, a very diverse uh, team in experience, in perspective, in personal background. Uh, my two co-founders, for example, Caroline, uh, came from McKinsey's. She was, you know, Harvard HBS, McKinsey from London in New York, and was investing on Republic and reached out and was like, hey, I can build a Korean corporate or I would love to explore a conversation of helping you build this. And that story relates through and through. I think we have uh, five former attorneys on the team of 20 uh, people from all different backgrounds. And I think there are out of 20, 12 of us are immigrants. I think we speak something like 18 languages. But uh, So it makes an interesting but a very argumentative group. <laughs> Great. Give us your parting words here. Just get in. There's so much anxiety and exuberance, sometimes irrational exuberance in a very confusing crypto ecosystem. But I think that this technology is absolutely here to last. I think it's potentially larger than the internet itself. And 
I think everyone should participate in tiny dollar amount. That is, if you can, find a way to learn about how Coinbase works, how my Ether wallet works, and deploy $5. Do not ever deploy all or significant amount of money into one single asset, particularly if you're new to it. But find an avenue where you can invest a tiny amount to have a little skin in the game And it's going to be, I guarantee, I promise, it's going to be such a fun learning experience and you would not regret looking back, losing that $5 or $20. And yes, there's a high risk, you're going to lose it all, but it's going to be the best $20 you have spent, uh, you know, in 2018. That's my personal guarantee. I agree. It's totally invigorating. Can you invest via credit card or do you have to connect your bank account or what's the easiest way to pay $20? You know, on Republic, on on, uh, equity traditional startup, you can invest with credit card, with your self-directed IRA, with your, uh, you know, ACH and even crypto. But unfortunately, on the crypto side of thing, uh, the regulatory landscape is still very much in flux. So currently, we can only accept USD, but, uh, you know, hopefully at one point, we'll be able to accept uh, crypto as well, probably in the coming months. Uh, it's really interesting just how pervasive crypto is starting to become. I was um, with an LP yesterday from, from Brown University who was saying that some alumni are actually donating in crypto now so much easier and for people outside of the US. What we deal with investors, as I mentioned, in dozens of countries, uh, non-US territories, most people in China or Korea or Estonia don't have credit cards. They That's not how they transact. And making a wire payment from a bank account to a US bank account is cumbersome and very expensive. Transferring a tiny fraction of an ETH uh, very convenient. You're going to see, I think, a lot more of international transaction of all shapes and forms adopting crypto assets far quicker than within a particular country like the US. I agree. That's why we're both here today. Yeah. So thank you so much. That was wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. The key takeaways from today's episode are, one, the Jumpstart Our Business Startups Act, or Jobs Act, passed in 2012, now allows non-accredited investors to invest in startups. Two, Republic is democratizing the investing landscape and allowing everyone to invest in startups with as little as $10. Three, Republic features both non-crypto and crypto companies on its platform and highly vets every company it lists. And four, Republic will issue its own token, which will allow investors to share in the growth of the platform. Please stay tuned for the white paper explaining the Republic token, which will be posted later this year to the website republic.co. Thank you for listening to the show. We're trying to make the crypto ecosystem more mainstream and welcoming. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a five-star review in iTunes and share this with one person you know who is trying to learn more about crypto technology. You can reach me on Twitter at Zachary DeWitt or email me at zach at wing.vc.